Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Well, last week, uh, Austin was in um, Acts chapter 12. And as you know, so far in Acts, we have followed Peter's moves, um, every single thing that he's done. And where Austin left him last week was he had uh, been, uh, was escaped. He escaped from prison by the hand of an angel and went to a home where they were praying for him. And from that point on, we have no idea what he does, where he goes, who he talks to thereafter. Um, For this point, at least in the book of Acts, um, Acts switches from Peter where it followed him and when he went and, and, and unlocked the gospel for um, the Jews first, then the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. And now it becomes the book of Paul. Paul's the one who takes, takes over, and the, the majority of the rest of the book of Acts is about him. We hear about Peter kind of in passing in Acts 15, but we don't know any more about his movements for the rest of the book. And the other thing that kind of is different at this point is it goes from, you know, the, the ministry of Jesus a lot of time was in little villages and, and some cities, but now the world has become kind of a place that revolves around Greco-Roman larger cities and towns. And uh, there are 40 different cities that are named in Acts um, where, they, where they take the gospel. And the way that it worked in those days, the Romans would build roads to all these hub cities and and everyone would kind of come and trade there and then go back and so they would go to these hub cities spread the gospel and then the gospel would go back through throughout the region because of what happened in those cities and so paul and and those that are uh, sent out from the church carry the gospel throughout the then known world and uh, through all these different cities and across all different parts of the world and so we're going to be today, begin in Acts chapter 13, we're going to read the first five verses. And if you'd please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it, it talks about those that, that are seen kind of as the teachers and um, uh, prophets at the first gathering here where they're beginning to go out. And, and one of the things that I want you to see is, is God's plan was always to use man to spread the gospel. And these that are sent out are sent out through the local church. You know, they're, they're called by the Holy Spirit, but that call is then um, approved or passed on through the leaders in a local church setting. And so it says, one day as they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit said, 
appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. Now in Acts 13, this is also where later on in the chapter um, is the first time that Saul is called Paul, and he's kind of known that from there on after, but here still calls him Saul. And so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. You know, God's plan is still today to, to be used to go through the local church. And that's where um, the local church is where missionaries are sent out. Now we have um, a national convention, the Southern Baptist Convention that we use, and we send money and, and contribute to international missions. But all those missionaries begin in a local church. They have to be recommended by a local church. They have to be appointed by a local church before they go out as missionaries. And because of, of a, the mission board that thousands of churches contribute to, we're able together to send out more missionaries than we would be able to send out on our own. And we have been, um, for the last several years, the leading giver to missions in Parker County and all Baptist churches. And not only do we do that, but we also help support church plants and missions, some of foreign and some also local. Um, there's a, a church plant that we support up and around the Denver area. And that's uh, Doug Hickson is the, the leader of that church plant. And he's also the one that we supported when he was in South Dakota. And I've known him for over 30 years. Um, he has uh, uh, been used of God in, in, in great ways. He is one of the best church planters that I've ever known. And we try when we can to work through churches that we have some kind of relationship with. And that's for accountability because that's where the authority comes from is through the sending of the local church. And that's the way that God intended it to be. You know, here's the thing. If you feel like God's calling you to some type of ministry, here's what you do. You go to the leaders of your church and say, hey, I feel this way. And then they'll say, hey, you know what? We'll pray along with you and, and we'll help you in that. And at some point, because I've had people that have come and said, hey, I want to I want to do this. And when I tell them, okay, here's how you do it. Oh, no, 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 that's too much trouble. I'm going to do it on my own. That's not a good sign to me. Because if you're not willing to submit to the authorities in the local church, why would I think you're going to submit to God's authority later on? Because God's authority comes through the local church. All right. And so Paul and uh, Barnabas here, they don't just go out on their own and start, hey, I'm going to start planting churches. It happens through the local church. The people in the church say, hey, we see, we see God's hand on this guy. We see God hand, God's hand on both of you. And the Holy Spirit, we believe, is setting you apart. And so they laid hands on them. And we still do that today. When we ordain someone to the, to the ministry or we ordain someone as a, as a deacon, an elder, we lay hands on them. And uh, we're going to be doing that actually in the next few months. So that's something that, that is a great moment in the lives of those um, I remember when I was ordained um, to the gospel ministry, and uh, it was one of the great nights of my life. I remember men, and I remember a lot of things that they said to me. You know, there were a lot of them that came by and spoke to me, and that was after a time of examination. You know, I had to go into a room with all these guys, and they asked every kind of personal question you could think of to make sure that there wasn't something that was going to hinder me. Now, obviously, being a human, I sin, and that's a hindrance, but they made sure that I was doctrinally in the right lane, that I was um, living as best as I could to follow the Lord. And their approval and their 
um, laying of hands on me was a, a moment of great joy in my life. And later on that night, after I'd been ordained there at the church, I, I was taking a friend back to college that wanted to come and be there for the ordination service, and I got pulled over because I, I claimed I was speeding. And he asked me where, what I'd been doing that night, and I told him where I just got ordained tonight, and he let me go. One of the few times that's ever happened. So anyway... I'm not saying that would happen to you if you go to ordain, but you never know. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, a, it was an amazing time. And, and that goes back. One of the things I love about, about church is that we're following in the traditions of, of centuries of people that have gone before us. And those things that we do were passed down to us. And you, we read about it in the scripture we still baptize people. We still do the Lord's Supper. We lay hands on people. We do, the, we do the basic things that they did in the early church. And those things were passed down and handed to, to us from generation to generation. And our job as the church is to be passing it on to others right now and then someday pass it on to the next generation of leaders. You know, we're all here temporarily. And our job is to be faithful where we're at and then to raise up other men and other women to do what we do in the, in the road ahead. And so these things are all happening here in Acts. And the, the foundation of the gospel was given first to the apostles. You know, Jesus is the cornerstone. The foundation was laid by the apostles. And then it gets passed down. And it, one of the amazing things to me is that... Um, this is God's chosen manner, is to, his, his delivery system of the good news of the gospel is people, telling people. And you know what? I bet there's not anybody in this room, nobody in this room just woke up one day and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to figure out this God thing. And we went, nobody here went out and did it on your own. Somebody told you. Now, maybe it was a pastor preaching in a church. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a relative. Maybe it was a, a Sunday school teacher, a small group Bible study leader. Maybe it was just some friend. And maybe then you, 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 you took that and you went and got something. But it was passed down to you by someone else because that's God's plan to spread the gospel. He doesn't have a, a, another delivery system. You know, it says in, in Ephesians 2, 20 through 21, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And that's what we do is we build on the foundation that was passed down to us, first from Jesus, then to the apostles and then to all those that came afterwards, faithful men and women who took what was given to them and passed it down to the next generation. That's what we do. And Timothy became Paul's protege in the ministry, and he even called him his son in the ministry at one point. And he says in 2 Timothy 2.2, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. You know, we have all kinds of written words, and those are great. We have some books of people that, have, uh, that were written by some of the giants of the faith that came before us, and I, I would greatly encourage you to read those. And we have the written word of God, and that is an important 
valuable thing. And, and we have more of those kind of things than any generation that has come before us. But the majority of the truth that you get is going to come from other people. The gospel is going to come by hearing someone else tell you who is also a witness to what they've seen. You see, there's nothing that beats an eyewitness. And when I tell you about the gospel, when I present the gospel at the end of every service, I'm not telling you as somebody that just read it in a book. I'm telling you as somebody that experienced it. I experienced that life-changing moment. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're a witness too. And that's the power of going from person to person. It's not just reading from something in a book. You know, you, you ever heard, well, there's all kinds of rumors about, you know, this or that, or, you know, maybe your favorite, favorite sports team. And then, but when you hear from someone that has inside information, and maybe they were there and they know it has a different ring to it, doesn't it? And see, when we pass on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's because we are witnesses. Even angels can't pass on the gospel of Jesus. Did you know that? We're the only ones. You know, when the, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in Isaiah and was trying to go, how can I understand this? An angel didn't come and tell him. An angel went and got Philip and brought him so that Philip could tell him. Because angels can't speak of it. It says in 1 Peter 1.12, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, talking about those of old, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are even eagerly watching these things happen. And if some of your, your versions of Scripture it might say that we speak of things in which angels long to look. Because you see, that's the thing. They'll never be able to, an angel cannot bear witness to the transforming power of Jesus through personal experience. Only we can do that. And now it amazes me sometimes. I'm like, why would God choose people? Because, man, we blow it. We mess up things. We, we, we talk when we shouldn't. We don't talk when we should. There's people, there's probably not one of us in here that doesn't have a moment that we're like, man, I had an opportunity there and I blew it. Or you know what? Maybe I, maybe I said it wrong. But here's the thing is God uses people to share the gospel. And even in the beginning, there were failures. Peter, the one who was given the keys to the kingdom that along, and with, along with the church to unlock the gospel to those who had not heard it, he failed Jesus on the night of his arrest by even denying knowing him three times. Paul, Paul knew who Jesus was, but he was out persecuting all those that were following him. They laid the, the coats after they stoned Stephen, the first martyr to death. They laid their coats in tribute to Paul. And Paul was actually going out to arrest and drag back to Jerusalem in chains as many Christians as he could. And God chose him. Peter and Paul are the two major forces in Acts to share the gospel. And both of them were guys that had blown it. 
And then there's another one even in this passage. It says, one of the verses I read to you at the beginning, there in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Now, John Mark's the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark later on. But here in this case, he's coming with, with Peter, excuse me, with, uh, with Paul and with Barnabas. And he's their assistant, you know, doing the things that, that kept them from being able to preach. There's no record of him preaching, but he's just helping. And so he goes, this is the first real mission trip sent out by the church. And so he goes with them. And what do we know about John Mark? Well, he was Barnabas's cousin, says in Colossians 4.10, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. And so we also know that his mom was one of the early believers. In Acts 12.12, when he realized this, Talking about Peter, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So his mom was a believer, was a leader in the church. They gathered at her house to pray. Barnabas was one of the early teachers and leaders in the, in the church. And so he kind of, he grew up in it. Even though Christianity was fairly new, he'd been a part of it for a big part of his life. And he felt, you know, I, I'm... Maybe he felt like, I, won't, I feel like God's calling me to be a part of this. And obviously, Paul and Barnabas saw something in him and took him with them. Peter even, at one point, you know, we have some evidence that Peter may have been the one who actually led him to Christ. It says in 1 Peter 5, 13, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. And that was one of the things that was kind of typical in the early church was they would call someone that they had led to Christ and discipled their son. And so maybe he even received the gospel from, from Peter. I mean, that's a pretty big, can you imagine going around? Hey, I, I came to Christ because Peter told me he had all these, these credentials, but then guess what? They get done there, and it says Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. All kind of P names there, anyway. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, the, the job's not done. The trip's not over. But he quits. We don't know why. Maybe it just got hard. You know, it, it can be hard if you've ever been on a on a mission trip, and I, you know, I get it. Some of us, you know, going to Haiti, I've been there a couple times. And it's, there's parts of it that are just difficult. You know, and, and it's not your culture, and you're, you're in a, you're, you know, you're in a foreign country, and um, instead of, you know, hopping out and getting in the back seat of an SUV and heading up, you usually get out and get in the back of a truck and drive up a mountain where there's thousands of people going each direction, and you know, that you're sitting on a wood bench. And so I, I'm not saying that to make you feel sorry, but it's, it can be uncomfortable. People get homesick, particularly people that are young. Being You know, this would have been an extended mission trip. We don't really know why he left, but, but he left. And what we do know is apparently they considered him having quit the job before it was done. Because in Acts 15... 
After some time, and this is much later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Now, as you can tell, this wasn't just a, hey, dude, cool, you go do your thing, I'll do good. This was a sharp disagreement. Because Barnabas says, no, let's take him. And Paul says, no, he quit on us last time. And you know what? You, you might ask, well, which one of them was right? Probably both of them. You know, and that's one of the things that you get when you get a church. You know, Barnabas, his son, meant, his name meant son of encouragement. And he lived up to that. I mean, he was, he was the encourage. Hey, you can do it, man. Hey, don't worry about that. God's got you. Paul was Mr. Black and white, kind of blunt. You know, at one point he even said, I've, there were some people, he said, I've turned them over to Satan that they might be taught not to blaspheme. I mean, Paul didn't pull punches. He told the truth. He was clear about it. And there wasn't any kind of, hey, you know, feelings. He didn't care about nobody's feelings. I don't know how well he would have done in our culture today. I'm just saying. But he was, I mean, he was black and white. And you know what? There's something that I want you to see from that. Instead of going, well, was, I mean, was Paul wrong? Yes and no. Was Barnabas wrong? Yes and no. Because we need both of those kind of people. And we need both of that in our life. And we need both of that in our church. You know, if all you get are people that encourage you no matter what, and they're always, you know, being positive, you're going to, you, you can get out there. And sometimes you, you don't get any better in life because people keep telling, hey, don't worry about it. And you need voices like that. But on the other side, you also need somebody that says, hey, listen here, Jack. And I'll tell you the truth, even if it hurts. You know, I, I guarantee you there's some of us, you can go back and tell me a story about something somebody did or said to you that was so encouraging that you've remembered it your whole life. And each and every one of you could go back and tell me the story of how somebody said something to you and it hurt your feelings, but they were right and it drove you to be better. Because we, we need all that in our life. And so you don't want to get too much of one and not enough of the other because you need both. And so was Paul right? Yeah, people ought to be held accountable when they blow it, when they make a choice. Was he wrong? Yeah, because you know what? Everybody fails. Was Barnabas right? Yeah, because it's good to encourage people. Was he wrong? Yeah, because people need to be held accountable. And so it's good to have both of those. And I, I don't know how John Mark interpreted some of those things. But one of the things I know is I don't know that I would have liked being the guy that was responsible for breaking up the very first mission team that ever got sent out from the church. I'd be a lot of pressure. Hey, we're Silas. Well, that's my fault. On the other hand, 
let's be honest here. If this hadn't happened, that whole song thing would have been messed up. Because you know, you know the old song, it was good for Paul and Silas. I mean, it was good for Paul and Barnabas. Does not sound the same. So that part's good. Some of y'all don't even know that song. That's just shame, 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 people. Brandon, we need to sing that soon. Where is he in here? He came to the last service. I grew up on that song. But what I'm saying is that, that we need both of those in our lives. We need people sometimes that will just tell us the pure, unvarnished truth, even when it's not something we really want to hear. But we also need people to be an encouragement in our lives. And that's, that's the beauty of a church. And the beauty of this situation is John Mark got both of those things. He knew Paul didn't approve. He knew Paul said, you ain't going with me. And I don't know if it's because of those things or in spite of them or whatever, but guess what? He did get better. He became an assistant to Peter and wrote down the, the, his accounts of the life of Jesus. It became the gospel of Mark. He became a leader in the church. And later on in 2 Timothy 4.11, when Paul at a, at a, is at a difficult point and he feels very alone, he says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Paul saw his value too. You know, and that's a, so it's a, his story is the story of all of us. It's a story of redemption. And all of our stories have moments of great victory and moments of failure. And what we do sometimes with those failures are what define us the most. And John Mark failed, but he changed. And he became useful. And you know, that's one of the things I want to tell you. you. I hear some, well, I could never, you know, God can't use me because I blah, 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 blah. There is no blah, 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 blah big enough that God can't use you. None. God used a, a murderer of Christians, Paul. Matter of fact, Paul even said, I'm the chief of all sinners. But God changed him, saved him, redeemed him. And used him. And he can do the same with you. God wants to use you. He has a plan for your life. And he has a plan to bless other people through you. No matter what you've done. And to me, that's the hope of the gospel. Now, Paul goes and they, they go to a, a synagogue later on. And, and um, he's preaching and he goes through because he's uniquely qualified. He goes through the history in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus, and he, he goes through the resurrection, which is a key part, and there were witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. You know, Barnabas was there and saw him, and Paul saw him on the road to Damascus when Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Jesus of Nazareth. So they both witnessed Jesus in his resurrected state. And so he could testify about that, not only from having heard it from others, but from having seen. And so then he gets down to the key part. And this is one of the, the key parts, elements of the gospel. 
In Acts 13, 38 through 41, brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. You see, there's a key element to salvation, and that is this. None of us get there on our own. We're not made right because of what we've done. He goes on to say something the law of Moses could never do. You see, that's, that's the thing that the Israelites, the Jews thought, that they were already clean because God had set them apart and because they were his chosen people and because they had been given the law. But the law only shows that we can't get there on our own. We are made right in God's sight by faith in Jesus. Be careful. Don't let the, the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Now, the part about the law and about being justified. It says in Romans 3, 19 through 20. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. See, there's nobody going to be able to stand up before God and say, hey, I have not sinned. Really? Let's look at it. And you know what? Let's just say that, you know, maybe most of us, we haven't broken, let's say, 40, 50% of the commandments. Or maybe at least not more than once. Let's just say you found somebody that could say, hey, I've not broke, I've only broken two of them. Or maybe you could even, if you could find the most righteous person on earth, maybe possibly they could say, well, I've kept 90% of them. That's pretty good. We would, in our books, 90%, man, that's an A, you're good. But you're not justified if you've broken any of them. You've broken the law, you've sinned. And the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say, hey, if you commit more sin than you do good stuff, then the wages of sin. It's every sin. See, if you go out here, if you leave from here today and go down and, and break a law, and you go down and, you know, rob a convenience store, and then you go to trial, and you say, hey, I just got out of church. I've been good. I hadn't broken this commandment. I hadn't broken this law. I haven't done that. I mean, look at all these laws I've never broken. Do you think they're going to go, you know what? Close enough. You're good. No. You get punished for the laws that you break. And all of us have broken the law. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no one is justified by being good. The law tells us clearly that we have all failed, that we have all sinned. He said it's to keep people from having excuses and show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. It's clear. 
You see, here's the thing. It's when we believe in Jesus and we believe what he did for us on the cross, in that moment, God says that we are justified. He declares us righteous. It doesn't mean all of a sudden you're without sin. It means all of a sudden all your sins are wiped off the books because of what Jesus did for us. That God gives us credit for the sinless life that Jesus lived. And so we're made right by faith in Jesus, and God declares us righteous. Now, that means from that moment on, we can stand before God. We can go into, with confidence into the throne room of grace and ask for help in times of need because we have been declared righteous. Now, did, did anybody in here sin today? Yeah. If you haven't, it's still early. <laughs> We're all going to sin. Whether it's in the mind, in the heart, we're going to sin. Some of y'all are thinking about the drive up here going, yeah, yeah. All them other people in my car sin, not me. But we sinned. But we're still declared righteous because Jesus never sinned. And that's the whole gospel right there. You can't earn it. You can't get it on your own. You can't be good enough. Everyone breaks the law. And you know what? Even those, some of those that thought, hey, well, I've never, I, you know, like I haven't committed adultery. And Jesus said, hey, you say I've not committed adultery. But here's the deal. Anyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. He talked about, okay, you ain't murdered anybody, but you've been angry with people. That's a sin. I, I've not said that, but you had it in your heart. You see, he just tells us, look, you, you think maybe, well, because I haven't actually physically done that, I'm good. But when you've harbored it in your heart, it's the same as having done it. And nobody can live up to that standard. But he did. So that we'd be justified. Declared righteous. You see, if you're a believer today, right now, I mean, if, if no matter when you became a believer, whether it was 50 years ago or 50 days or whatever, you have been declared righteous. You have been justified before God. And that will never change. You see, when God says something, when he declares us righteous, when he declares something, it stays declared. You know, there, you, don't, you don't go back to Genesis where it says, and God said, let there be light. God didn't say again, hey, guys, I guess y'all didn't hear me. I said, let there be light. When God said, let there be light, boom, there was light. Whatever he says, it's done. It's done. And so when he declared you righteous the moment you came to faith in Jesus, it's done. Righteous. Now, that's not an excuse to go out and go, well, you know, so I've been declared I can do whatever I want. That should make us want to be obedient and to please God in what we do. You want to know why? Because God gave you all the love and all the justification up front. 
Wouldn't you want to live in such a way that pleases him? Yes. Now, we're going to blow it, but it's not going to change the fact that we've been declared righteous, that we've been justified by faith. For no one will be justified by the law. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And because of what God did for us and because of where we now stand, we should want to pass the good news to someone else. Now, here's the thing. We fail. That's not going to stop God. It's not going to stop him. But, you know, there are people in your life or in your circle or maybe people you hadn't met yet that, that you are the most uniquely qualified person to share with them. Now, if you choose not to do it, God will send someone else. But it is a privilege and an honor to share the gospel. And all the reasons why, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. You are righteous. You are justified by faith. So you don't get to say, well, I'm not perfect because God declared you righteous. If you want to say, well, only righteous people will be able to share the gospel, that's you. Now, should your life back up what you're saying? Absolutely, as best we can. But the, you, you don't get to say, well, I'm not good enough because God declared you good enough when you came to faith in Christ. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know that I know enough. Yes, you do. Because if you didn't know enough, then you wouldn't be saved yourself. If you knew enough to be saved, you know enough to tell somebody else how to be saved. And here, here's the deal. Their, become, their being saved or trusting Christ is not dependent upon how well you tell them. That's dependent on God working in their heart and bringing them understanding and drawing them to his son. Our job is to lift his son up. You know, the Bible tells us always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. You know, here's what ought to happen. Somebody will come up and say, man, there's something different about you. Let me tell you what that is. They ought to be able to come up and say, hey, you know, I notice you don't, you don't say blank or blah, blah, blah like other people. You don't do this like other people. Now, see, I, I'm a, they ought to be able to see something. If you act just like everybody else, nobody's going to come up and say, hey, man, you're different. We're supposed to be different. Now, I'm not going to get into all that. Y'all know what that is. But we ought to be living a life where somebody comes up and says, hey, I noticed something different about you. And at that moment, we ought to be ready to give an account for the hope that's in us. So live a life in such a way that people notice that there's something different about you. You don't have to go around pointing it out to them. They'll see it. And when you have opportunity, whether it's through that or some other means, share the gospel. And here's the deal. I'm not trying to put pressure on you saying, well, if you don't do it, then they're probably going to be lost and go to hell, whatever. 
I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying in that moment is there's no one else there to share with them but you. So do it. So that there's, we can't save people. We're not going to be, God's not going to, oh, well, you, you know, you, you shared your, you were so good at it, this many people came to Christ. That's not what he's going to say. We're going to be rewarded for obedience. Because the fact is, only God can save people. We can't. But God chooses to use people to get the life-saving message to them. And that's all of us. It's all of us. And we should be willing to share it. The last part, you know, one of the things that, that Paul said in the last part of that message, he says, look, he said, you mockers, be amazed and die, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. You see, when we tell people, they're responsible. Now, somehow or another, the Bible says there's going to be no one without excuse. But one of the things I know is, if, if when you share the gospel with them, it is hopefully so that they might make a decision. But when you have been shared the gospel, had the gospel shared with you, now you've you're going to make a decision about it. And you're going to be responsible for that decision. And there's plenty of people that hear the gospel and choose not to receive it. There were plenty of people in the days of Paul. There were plenty of people in the days of, of some of the great leaders that have come up in the centuries. There are plenty of people today. And you know, one of the things that amazes me about our, the culture that we live in are the number of people who have heard the gospel and have just chosen not to believe it. That amazes me. But the other thing that amazes me is how many people that I share the gospel with or that I talk to tell me they've never heard the gospel. That amazes me too. Because part of me is like, how, how can anybody not accept it if they've heard it? And then the other part of me is like, how can anybody have not heard it today? But I'm telling you, I hear it all the time. It's our responsibility to go and share. And if today is your day and you've not trusted Christ... Today might be your day of, of decision and of salvation. It's your choice. I'm going to ask you now if, if everyone would please bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. You know, salvation was not easy. It took God becoming flesh and living a sinless life for, for 33 years in the form of Jesus, of dying a horrible death on a cross and of being resurrected. So it wasn't easy, but it is simple for us. All we have to do is three things. Number one is we've got to admit our sins and ask forgiveness. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the second thing that we got to do is believe in Jesus, that he was God's son. That he died on the cross for my sins and for yours, and that he rose on the third day according to scripture. And then the last thing, 
Part of coming to Christ and asking for forgiveness is, is confessing that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that's what I'm going to invite anyone today who would like to, if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you have peace with God, have been declared righteous, and that that is a forever thing, that you'll be with him forever. If you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, you're right with God, and that you're going to be in heaven with him for eternity, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. I'm going to pray it, and you can repeat it after me. And so you can pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. God will hear you. But if that's you, I want you to pray this with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, today, I trust Jesus as my Savior and confess him as my Lord. Now, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, if, you, if you're already saved, you don't have to pray that again. Once is enough. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I just want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you because I want to pray for you and I want to encourage you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, okay? All right? But I want you to look up at me until I see you. Okay? All right? Okay. So I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. If you, if you prayed that, and you meant it, I, I would encourage you to tell someone. There's a number on the screen. There's a QR code there. It's also in your bulletin. If you'd like to take that with you and get with us later. If you're here with your parents, tell your parents about it and they can contact us. And what we would like to do is sit down with you and make sure you understand your decision, answer any questions, and then talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. You don't have to join our church. We're not going to ask anything from you. We just want to help you. And it's important that you tell someone. So tell someone. And we would love to help you. So right now, I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you that the moment you believe that, during that prayer, in that prayer, that God declared you righteous. And you have peace with him. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. And I thank you for your son. I thank you for those that came before us to lay the foundation and to pass down to us the truths of your word. I thank you for those that laid down their lives for you and for the gospel and so that we might know. And Father, I pray that we would be a faithful generation to pass to those who come after us the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, the truth of your word. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. 
You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.